The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Sport Fox for your headlines today. The S&P 500 approaches a fresh record high while the Dow jumps more than 200 points for its ninth straight positive session as the Santa rally picks up speed. The US and its allies reportedly consider targeted missile strikes as part of efforts to protect shipping through the Red Sea. Mass CEO tells CNBC security is key. We have between 10 and 12 percent of the global GDP that is transiting through, uh, through the Red Sea. And it is extremely important for us to guarantee safe passage for our ships in order to, to do the job that we're supposed to do. We can no longer guarantee the safety of our crew. New car registrations in Europe accelerate almost 7% in November as big jumps in Italy and France offset a decline in Germany, while EVs make up an even larger share of sales. And shares in FedEx sink in extended trade as weak demand forces the delivery giants to cut full-year forecasts. Welcome to the program, Arabella. Welcome back from holidays. Thank you. It's, I don't know if I knew how to work at some point, but nonetheless, <laughs> we'll get straight into yeah, it. Yeah, straight into it because we've got big numbers crossing. UK November inflation. It is undershooting. Now, the market was expecting a number in the range of 4.4% for November year over year. Inflation is lower than that and by some margin, 3.9% the level that's just hit the tape. So we're no longer in the fours on inflation. We are now at 3.9%. Let's just linger on this for a moment because you may recall back in September, we were at a 6.7% mark. So we've got all the way from 6.7 in September to 4.6 in October. Now 3.9% in November. That is a rapid pace of descent. I want to take you to the core levels also undershooting, and that is important because we've seen a lot of movement in the headline inflation globally, but core is still sticky for a lot of various central banks looking at what to do with monetary policy. And the core now, core CPI X, energy, food, alcohol and tobacco, that is 5.1% year over year. So still not on target, but it is below the 5.6% that analysts had been expecting. So again, it is undershooting. It's coming in lower than anticipated. If we look at the November core, uh, November CPI rather, month on month, that is minus 0.2%. The difference here is that the market thought it would be up 0.1% in terms of the core CPI on a monthly basis, that is minus 0.3% versus the, the plus 0.2% anticipated. So that is just giving you a sense of the journey on a month by month basis. In terms of services, November services CPI, and don't forget this has been somewhat sticky, 6.3% year over year. So we are seeing an improvement on this key services side. Uh, some of the market was saying this could be about 6.5%. So again, the services inflation, some heat is coming out of that more than anticipated. November producer input prices minus 2.6% year over year. Not as good as the Reuters poll anticipated that was seen at minus 3.3%, but uh, certainly some decent territory claimed here. And if you look at the import prices month over month, minus 0.3% versus uh, the steeper drop of minus point. 8 of a percent anticipated. On the core producer prices, they are 
flat month on the month versus October, that was up 0.1 of a percent. I, I suppose all of this actually is in addition to the fact that we saw the Eurozone inflation number also come in at 2.4% then yesterday, which gives a clear sense that, that things aren't necessarily uh, staying as sticky as they were. Yes, you still have that core inflation number. The UK is still at 5.1%, which they definitely want to bring down. But this was the message from the UK Prime Minister a little bit earlier on this year, Rishi Sunak, saying that he wanted to bring down that inflation number and halve it to around 5%. Yes, it may not predominantly be a factor of something that they put together and really the central bank being a key component and really uh, majorly responsible for bringing it down. But then bring it down to 3.9% year on year is definitely going to benefit him in some ways for political for, rhetoric. Forget Rishi Sunak. Let's just go straight to Andrew Bailey because we've got a market reaction yeah. already shaping up around the potential for a pivot. We haven't had a pivot from the Bank of England. The big question is when will that pivot come and will it be sooner rather than later now that we're back at a three-handle, given it as high, a high three-handle still. But if we look at the rates journey, now we're still at five and a quarter percent after that hawkish hold at the December meeting yeah. with no pivot. Money markets have been looking at the slightly loosening labour market conditions. They've also been looking at uh, very much a fading growth profile and saying, look, you're going to have a pivot at some point. So money markets have priced in 425 basis point rate cuts starting from June, uh, culminating uh, with a rate of about four and a quarter percent by the end of 2024. If you look at the market reaction today, we are setting up for some moves on the FTSE 100. I've got to wonder whether these are home builder stocks, whether there could be some of the banks too concerned about deteriorating yeah. loans. And you can see futures have extended uh, some of their gains after the inflation data, now up 0.76%. Uh, we've also seen a movement in the currency. So there's been a fairly significant drop there. But what's been instrumental, we've seen a drop in the dollar thanks to the Fed pivot. Mm. But there's now a view that other central banks are going to be in the same boat as the Fed. So dollar isn't necessarily going to be a casualty from here because you've just seen this intraday reaction in yeah. sterling where it's also now moving aggressively to the downside based on the data. So the question becomes then, does the rate cut cycle that now is anticipated by the market, of course, is that going to be as prodigious as the uptick was? I mean, some might say no, but if inflation continues to fall at levels that we're currently seeing it at now, 3.9% year on year, how much does that offer uh, the, the central bank, especially the Bank of England, when the economy has been stuttering across uh, England, of course, uh, the, uh, and just, just really noting, of course, quite significantly that you still find that uh, a cost of living crisis still across the UK and things are still relatively high. So this might give them a lot more scope. Uh, a little bit earlier to indeed cut rates but the question does become how quickly and how soon they begin to start that process just a couple more lines for the uk watchers and this is on rpi plus 5.3 percent year over year poll saw that at 5.7 percent so coming in on the rpi as well at a lower end also on the month by month basis that was minus 0.1 of a percent month on month poll thought this would be plus 0.2 of a percent. So a lot of data to crunch today. And you can see the market instantly taking sterling lower, 126, 78 to 80, roughly what we're seeing this morning, Arabili. Yeah, I thought we were supposed to be in holiday mode. Definitely not. The market's really still doing uh, a lot across the spectrum, right? We're headed towards that Santa rally, and it just seems to be picking up pace as we head towards next week. That CPI print then out of the UK will certainly push things along, and we'll note how that is factoring into this market picture. But here we are then on the US front, right? Nine days in a row of positive gains, and that's both for the Dow as well as the NASDAQ. In fact, the Dow 
hit a fresh record high intraday and even closed at a record high then as well. 37,557 points, up two-thirds of a percent by the close of that trading picture. We're speaking about FedEx as well then, who unfortunately didn't necessarily do too well as their fight with UPS continues to rage on, bringing down some of their uh, estimates out on that front. Two-thirds of a percent higher for the tech-heavy Nasdaq. We saw the communication services sector up around 1.2 percent. Staples, however, uh, consumer staples, that was down two-tenths of a percent overall uh, on that front. Just very interesting to note as well, on the small caps front, the Russell 2K, that was actually the big gainer yesterday and really led a lot of this market. 1.9% up for the small caps counter. It's up now 11.7% in December thus far. How much further will that continue to climb up? Of course, we're headed towards that personal consumptions expenditure data that's out on Friday. So PCE will be very critical out of the United States. Here's your Treasury look then uh, as well. Treasury yields were lower than particularly in yesterday's session. Spread still uh, a little bit flat uh, across most of the board. The 10-year note sitting at 3.9%. Similarly with the 5-year note then, 4.4, however, is where we're sitting with the 2-year note. As I said, uh, the spreads have been pretty much flat and you can kind of tell now it's around 50 bips uh, that you are sitting uh, seeing uh, pretty much when it comes to the spread across the 10-year and the two-year. Your dollar crosses then. U.S. Uh, dollar held steady, uh, particularly early this morning. Investors still, of course, taking on the rhetoric of seeing interest rate cuts as early as March, in fact. Uh, some even uh, predicting that it could indeed happen by March. Uh, and a cut in interest rates for the United States. Then participants uh, pricing in a 69% ch chance of that first cut happening in March. The euro easing, however, uh, a little bit earlier, and even now two-tenths of a percent, uh, in fact, a quarter of a percent there. In fact, the sterling, that will be interesting to note. It does seem that the sterling is getting a little bit weaker, having seen that inflation print then come out 3.9% year-on-year versus the 4.4% expectation. Uh, what does that mean then for consumers and investors across the day? We'll also see how the market reacts to that uh, as the open comes out then for the FTSE 100. WTI and Brent crude oil. This has certainly been a picture to really watch across uh, this year. Then We thought we could get to 100 at some point this year. Not to be. 74.13 is WTI up around a quarter of a percent thus far 79.35 though for brent crude oil rising more than a dollar a barrel yesterday of course extending uh, the gains from the previous session it did of course follow on uh, from those uh, attacks by yemen's uh, iran aligned houthi militants uh, on ships in the red sea which saw a whole host then uh, of maritime traders having to uh, reroute a lot of their vessels uh, then as well. So just under $80 a barrel is where we're seeing Brent crude oil. Asian markets very quickly here. We do have some news, of course. The Chinese uh, central bank, they're deciding then uh, to actually leave their benchmark lending rate unchanged, matching a lot of expectations there. Also, interestingly, Toshiba has actually been delisted from Tokyo's exchange then for the first time since in 74 years as it now leads up to private uh, ownership there, facing a future with new owners. Of course, it does have uh, an upheaval that has had uh, as a company over the last decade or so, scandals that have brought down one of Japan's biggest companies as well. So the Shanghai Composite is 1% higher, but there's the Nikkei then, uh, down, should I say, for the Shanghai Composite, the Nikkei is 1.37% to the good thus far. Karen. Arubile, thank you. Let's get to Janet Henry, Chief Global Economist at HSBC.
Janet, you're calling it an eventful year for 2024. It feels as though we're going up uh, 2023 with a big bang as well. Lots of fireworks. UK numbers just crossed. We had a pivot last week from the Fed, but the UK numbers today telling us perhaps the Bank of England may not be too far behind. A 3.9% handle on UK inflation. Now, what's your reaction? Um, as you say, the, the Bank of England may not be too far uh, behind, but I think it will be behind the others. I mean, this is a good release. This is the release for November. It did come in a bit lower than expected. Um, but on headline, we know that a lot of that is the energy story. You know, this time a year ago, energy was adding about four and a half, five percentage points to you know, overall inflation. Now it's detracting about one percentage point. So actually, for me, the good news was in core CPI. That came in lower than expected. That's where UK inflation has been so much more kind of rigid, stickier than, for instance, in Europe um, or indeed the United States. So core inflation coming in at 5.1, much better. A few kind of exceptional moves in there. It seems to be more driven by recreation and culture. Computer games apparently played a role, so I wouldn't get overly excited, but but it is, it is good news. Um, but they'll need to see further progress because they're not going to get much help from energy um, even before the recent developments this week through the course of 2024. They need to see that core inflation move steadily lower. Janet, you're sounding like a central banker there. Don't get too carried away with rate cuts at this point. But when it comes to a pivot and timing markets, it's all important, isn't it? Who else is going to pivot, when they're going to pivot and what sort of rate cuts we're going to get. So what's the timing then for the Bank of England and what uh, scenario do you see on the rate cutting side for 2024? Well, I think the markets have got, you know, maybe a little bit ahead of the game. We have got rate cuts from all the major central banks, um, but we think the Fed and the ECB will lead the way. We've got those rate cutting rates for the first time in June. For the Bank of England, we think that the first rate cut um, happens um, in, in August. So headline, we are looking for headline inflation to fall materially further um, towards the middle of next year. Um, but, um, you know, we are seeing some signs of a softening labour market. UK wage growth is a lot higher um, than elsewhere. We will need to see wage growth trend a little bit lower. Um, and actually, we're not overly negative on the UK economy. Some are obviously warning of a very hard landing. Um, we don't have that. This fall in inflation is really better news for consumers. And wage growth is currently higher than inflation. So that real intense squeeze on real wages um, is lessening. So that offsets some of the slowdown in the labour market. So August for the first rate cut and less from the Bank of England next year than from the Fed or the ECB. Yeah, Janet, then in, in relation to that, good morning to you. I mean, does that does that bode well for UK growth then as well? Because if wage, if, if rather the inflation story has declined a little bit more than wage growth has, it is still a little bit higher than inflation is wage growth. That means, does that mean that the growth picture for this year, because a little bit more spending rather next year, should I say, looks a little bit better? Um, well, yeah, possibly. Um, and I still think that everywhere is going to see a, a further slowdown um, in the coming months. But, you know, one of the key points that I keep making is this is a very unusual cycle. Usually when you see a sharp reduction in inflation like we have seen over the course of the last six to 12 months, it is a consequence of, of a recession or a big jump in unemployment. But because so much of this, I mean, growth hasn't been good, but there hasn't been a recession. Um, but because this time inflation has come down beforehand, 
um, consumers, the price level is still high, as, as you rightly pointed out in your introduction. The cost of living squeeze is still there. The price level is still high, but inflation is slowing more rapidly than wage growth. And so, yes, relative to some of the expectations, I think that UK growth may prove to be a, a little bit more, um, I suppose, show more stabilisation and modest signs of improvement through the course of 2024. Let's ask you to get back to trying to uh, sound a little bit more like a, uh, a central banker than Janet. I mean, what happens with the speed of rate cuts going into next year? That will be the, the key question because some would say if you pull the lever too quickly on that one, you could still get uh, some other shocks, which you d- certainly don't want. Well, there, there are lots of d- domestic risks. There are lots of external risks. We need to remember that central banks have been above their inflation targets for two and a half, three years. That is quite a long period of time. So whenever you get any volatility from inflation, um, and that could happen even even on energy. I mentioned that point about energy prices coming back down, but energy, you know, now it's back in Brent, back at 79, it was at 75, it was previously at 70. That volatility of inflation and not knowing where prices are going to be tomorrow, that does impact on consumer behaviour um, and, and corporate um, behaviour. So, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts um, that, that need to evolve. But as you rightly say, for central banks, there are risks on both sides. If they cut too soon, and inflation gets stuck or, or even worse, actually accelerates, then that's a real problem for them. They may actually have to tighten the reins. If they leave it too late and actually the economy has a much harder landing and they undershoot their inflation targets, then that's a big policy error as well. So it is a very fine line that they have to tread. And it's very difficult to gauge the speed of the pass through of the past interest rate rises. You know, the swap rates coming down. There are even signs that mortgage rates are coming down because the markets are pricing in rate cuts. Again, that, that's a bit more helpful in terms to households that are indebted. But these familiar stats we keep hearing on the UK, only half of homeowners have a mortgage. They're actually seeing some higher interest rates um, on their savings. So it's a very complicated economic picture. Um, so very difficult for central banks to assess in real time. Janet, I want to bring in the fiscal component to the growth outlook for next year because you've got a very interesting piece here. You talk about policy quandaries. It's difficult to policy choices for a lot of governments here facing new spending requirements. But then in the absence of market pressure, and that's fascinating because interest rates have moved very aggressively to the downside thanks to the Fed pivot and expectations now around rate cuts from other central banks, which means that the story around the Bod Vigilante has been quite active in 2023 at various points. That could have disappeared now as we go into 2024. Why are we just not going to see any fiscal drag next year? And why will the spending pot not be taken away by governments? Well, to some degree, there is a degree of fiscal drag. You know, when people talk about fiscal drag, it is actually when tax thresholds are not raised in line with inflation. So different people get stuck um, in certain tax bans, um, you know, just because of the impact um, of inflation. Um, but actually, you remember the, you know, in the latest budget in the UK, actually, while there were some tax cuts that came through, all that did was partially reversed this, this element of taxation increase that was in the pipeline to some degree. But we all know that governments, one, they've got a much bigger debt stock. And remember in the UK, 25% of that debt stock is linked to inflation. 
interest rates are no longer at rock bottom, even if they are going to be falling from this peak level over the course of the next year, and bond markets will preempt that. Um, and there are lots of structural increases um, in spending that they can't get away from. Higher defence spending, um, higher uh, energy transition costs, higher age-related spending, higher healthcare spending, um, and add to that, as I say, the impact of inflation itself um, and higher interest rate um, spending. Um, there are very few instances of any government cutting spending, delivering austerity, um, without some degree um, of market-based um, pressure. And it's not just the UK. We've right. seen it in a lot of Western economies, constant need to support incomes, to support spending for actually three or four years now. Janet, I want to ask about Japan and Arabelle wants to ask about China. So let's pitch it to you. Which is going to be the more important economy next year? Japan because of the exit from extraordinary monetary stimulus or China because of the slowdown in growth we've seen this year that could continue next year? Well, China um, clearly um, has been a little disappointing um, on the growth front. Um, and, and I think probably a little bit uneven, both in terms of the pace of growth. Q3 was very strong. Q4 looks to have been softer. And clearly there are those ongoing structural challenges in the, in, in the property market and local government debt that probably will play out um, over a period of many years. Um, but there are certain areas where China is still gaining market share globally on the export front, particularly in other emerging economies. I think for the global economy, though, there's almost this kind of frustration that China's not doing its normal bit. It's a different mix of growth and a different pace of growth than in an age like 2009 or 2016, where any improvement in China floated all boats. A more service sector and consumer story, assuming that continues to come through, um, and certain areas of investment provides less of a lift to non-commodity producing um, economies um, in the world. Um, but I think from a financial market um, perspective, um, potentially it will be the normalization um, in, of policy by the Bank of Japan that might have the potential to, to spring some surprises. Um, we actually have a very cautious um, normalization of policy, you know, finally getting out of yield curve control and the first rate rise happening in the second quarter of next year. But it's really just going from minus 0.1 to zero. I think that the real surprise and the shock to the global cost of capital were it to happen would be if the Bank of Japan went to, you know, one or two percent um, or possibly beyond that. But I think the Bank of Japan has tried to escape from deflation um, a few times. They're going to be cautious. They're going to be um, gradual um, in terms of that normalisation um, actually happening. And they'll need to see further evidence of wage growth building in the early part of 2024 to even proceed with what we are projecting. How many times have we spoken about the balancing acts that need to be held forth then by a lot of these central banks? Well, Janet, a lot of those permutations are the ones we're going to be watching out for uh, heading into next year. Thank you so much for the time, though, this, uh, this morning. Janet Henry is Chief Global Economist at HSBC. Now, coming up on the show, the U.S. reportedly mulling targeted missile strikes in a bid to protect shipping in the Red Sea as cargo takes the long way around. We'll bring you the details. That's next. Plus... We'll dig into the outlook for the obesity drugs which have caught the market's attention in 2023. That's coming up a little bit later in the show. And we'll also look ahead to the autos in 2024 with S&P Global Mobility's Tim Urquhart. Don't miss that interview. It's at 8.30 CET.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Welcome back. Now, France and Germany have reached a deal on reforming the EU's fiscal rules. The two had been in disagreement about how quickly a country with a deficit above the EU's limit of 3% of GDP should cut it, whilst having enough money for reforms and investments. Now, the two countries' finance ministers wanted to ensure a united position before meeting EU counterparts today in what could be the last chance to reach a deal this year. To the U.S. now, where the Colorado Supreme Court has barred former President Donald Trump from the state's 2024 presidential primary ballot, declaring him ineligible to run. The decision related to his role in the January 6th riots stems from the 14th Amendment, which bars officials from future office if they engage in insurrection. The amendment, however, does not explicitly mention the presidency, Trump's team say the ruling is flawed and will appeal to the Supreme Court. Now, the U.S. is reportedly considering plans for military strikes against Houthi militant uh, sites in Yemen. That's after the group launched a series of attacks against cargo ships in the Red Sea. That's according to The Telegraph and Bloomberg, which say no final decision has yet been made. Maersk CEO Vincent Clerk praised the steps the U.S. has taken to try to secure the shipping route. We have between 10 and 12 percent of the global GDP that is transiting through, uh, through the Red Sea. And it is extremely important for us to guarantee safe passage for our ships in order to, to do the job that we're supposed to do. We can no longer guarantee the safety of our crew, and that's why we took the decisions that we had to take. But we're also cer certainly welcoming uh, the, the, uh, the initiatives that the, that the U.S. Navy is taking to reopen the trading route. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.